so good to be together. Church, uh, thanks for, would you just show your appreciation to our worship team? Really great to be guys. Thank you. Uh, well, welcome. If you're watching us online, thanks for joining us that way. And if you happen to be uh, new today, maybe for the first time or for the first few times, so glad that you're here. My name's Todd, if I haven't met you. Uh, just a, a, li a little bit of a warning coming in. I haven't preached in three weeks, and I am amped today. Like, I might, I might jump off the stage after the worship. I don't know. But uh, I am so glad to be back, and I'm also so grateful for two other guys who do an incredible job uh, here uh, preaching God's Word. And so thanks to Dom and to Dan for uh, the last few weeks. Also want to let you know that, um, yeah, you can, you can actually, yeah. Um, also want to let you know, last weekend, uh, we got a chance to get away with our elders on a vision and planning retreat. So it was a really fruitful time, and I wanted to say thank you for praying for that retreat, because uh, I think a lot of good have, has come out of it, and there will be more that you hear uh, moving forward because of what came out of that, that retreat as this church continues to grow. And I also wanted to just tell you, um, you have nine guys on the elder team that spend a ton of time and a ton of thought and a ton of effort into shepherding and loving and planning what happens here at this church. And I'm so thankful for these guys. And so if you, uh, I just want you to know these guys love this church and they love you and it shows with all that they do. So if you know one of our elders, you're friends with them, just say thank you. Because so much of what they do is behind the scenes. You don't really see them very often. But so much of what you see is because of these men. So thankful for them. All right. Um, we are on week seven of our We Believe series that uh, is really a series based on the core doctrine, the core beliefs of our church. It's the foundation for everything we do. It's our theology. And so that's what this series is all about. And we're going through the Apostles' Creed as kind of our framework for this series so that we have a framework for how we're going to break down each part of this important doctrine that we hold to be true. This week, uh, we are focused on a part of the Apostles' Creed, a part of our doctrine that could be easy to gloss over, but I believe is probably the most important thing in the entire Apostles' Creed. And it comes at the very end. Uh, Virginia, if you could put that up. At the very end, there's this list of things that it starts going, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. And it's this list, but if you gloss over the forgiveness of sins, you miss everything. You miss everything. And so, I want to tell you, we're going to talk about forgiveness of, forgiveness of sins today. And uh, here's, what, here's the way I want to kind of frame it up. Uh, if you were on your phone and you were kind of scrolling through your news feed, and you came across an article about how scientists have actually figured out, found a cure for like this really fatal and rare disease. You'd be like, man, that's really interesting. That's really great. But you'd probably keep scrolling to more news. Unless you were scrolling through and you found a, a, rare, a cure to a rare fatal disease and you have that disease. Then it changes your life. And what I want you to know is this, when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, you won't understand how amazing it is until you understand how desperately you need it, how desperately I need it. So, forgiveness of sins, 
We're going to do, there's three points today that we're going to run through, and uh, they are as follows. The problem, the solution, and the response. The problem, the solution, and the response. So first, the problem, all right, the problem. And by the way, you can't understand the solution until you really understand the problem. That's why we're going in this order. It all starts in the beginning. The problem starts right at the beginning, and you, you know this part of the story. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. That God created Adam and Eve, put them in a garden, and everything they had was so good because they were in perfect and beautiful relationship with God, their creator. And nothing was wrong. There were no problems because they were perfectly connected to God in a relationship with him. And you know that part of the story. You also know this part of the story that um, what happened is God had one thing he said they need to do. Just don't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Just that one. Everything else is all yours, but just that one. Don't eat the fruit. And you know the way the story goes. Satan enticed Adam and Eve to eat that fruit. Not only did he say that they could do it, but they said, Satan said it would be good if you ate that fruit. And Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. And thus, sin entered the world. Now, I want to point out something, though, that always, that's a little interesting to me. Why was eating fruit what brought sin into the world, right? The reason I ask that question, because, like, that doesn't seem that bad, right? Like, it just ate fruit. It wasn't that the fruit was poison. It was probably tasted really good. Everything was probably fine. Why did eating fruit... It, bring sin into the world. And I want to give you first a short answer, and I'm going to put it up on the screen, and that's this. And then I'll explain. It's because sin is not breaking a rule, it's breaking a relationship. Sin is not breaking a rule, it's breaking a relationship. If, if God was all about following rules, then he would have created Adam and Eve, he would have put them in the garden, he would have slapped the Ten Commandments on a tree and say, hey, follow these and you'll be good. That's not what God did. Instead, he said, hey, everything's yours. It's all good. Just don't eat of this tree. Why did he do that? I think, I think the reason why is this. What God was doing is he was looking at Adam and Eve, and he was going, do you trust me? Do you trust that I'm going to take care of everything for you, that, that I have your best interest in mind? Because trust is the foundation for any relationship. And as soon as Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they broke trust with God, thus breaking relationship with God. Right? What Adam and Eve were doing is they were looking at God and saying, you know what? I want to do things my way. We want to do things our way, not your way. And I've, I've told this uh, story before, and, uh, but I'll, I'll tell it again in a short matter. But we have a daughter, Reese, who's almost 14. And uh, she is wonderful. She's wonderful. But she's also strong-willed, which can be good and hard. When she was three, it was hard. Uh, and one of the times, I remember one particular time when she was three years old, she was disobeying. And uh, she was doing something that she shouldn't have. I don't remember what it was. And I kind of sat her down and I said, listen, Reese, I love you. And, you know, I, I want your, the best for you. 
But if, if we're going to be, if we're going to operate in this house in a good way, you've got to listen to me. You have to do what I say. I was trying to kind of give this conversation about the hierarchy in our house. And, uh, and so I thought she was tracking with me. I was like, this is great. She gets it. And so in the end, just to make sure, I said, okay, so Reese, and we call her Reesey back then. Uh, I said, Reesey, listen, then who, who's in charge in this house? Is it daddy or is it Reesey? I'll tell you, she looked at me, took one step forward, and with way too much confidence, looked me in the eye and said, Reesey. <laughs> Here's what I want you to know about what God was doing in the, in the Garden of Eden with the fruit and the tree. I believe what God was doing is he was going to Adam and Eve, and he was saying, do you trust me? Like, I love you. I've given you everything. Do you trust? What he was saying was the same thing I was saying to Reese. He's going to Adam and Eve, who's in charge? Is it me or is it you? And Adam and Eve, just like Reese, looked at God, took one step forward, looked him in the eye and said, we're in charge. We're going to do it our way. And ever since then, we've all been born into a world with a sin nature by our actions, by our thoughts, by our words. We have all said to God, I'm in charge. I'm doing it my way, not your way. That is sin. And it doesn't just break a rule. It breaks a relationship with God. And you have to keep that in mind. Romans uh, 3.23, sorry, Romans uh, yeah, sorry, Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right, when it says for all have sinned, if you take that word all and you look at it in the, in the Greek translation, it literally means all. <laughs> all right, I thought that was going to go over kind of better. Um, everyone, right? All. It is everyone is included all have sinned. And I think that means that we don't, um, we have a tendency to break the world up into good people and bad people. Like even in your mind right now, you could, you could make a list. But the, the world is not divided into good people and bad people. The world is actually divided into nobody, into nothing. It's filled with people who have a broken relationship with God because they have sinned. Sin is the great equalizer for all of us. It puts us on a level playing field, and here's why. Because the way God created this to be, he didn't put sin on a grading scale. He didn't grade your sin on a curve, like in comparison to the rest of the class, I did pretty well. That's not the way it works. Sin is literally a pass-fail situation. You either have done it once which means you fail or you haven't, which means you pass and every single one of us has failed. That means this, sin is the great equalizer. It, it puts us all on a level playing field. It's the convicted felon gets the same grade as the gossiping soccer moms. It, the, the evil dictator, not that, I don't know why soccer moms, but just felt right. Um, uh, Evil, the evil dictator gets the, gets the same grade as the guy who looks at porn. The, 
It also means that the drug addict gets the same grade as the pastor who cares way too much about what people think and not enough about what God thinks, and that is a hypothetical situation about a hypothetical pastor, right? Sin is the great equalizer, and we have to, we have to remember this. Sinners aren't the people out there. Sinners are the people right in here. And the hardest part about all of it is that there's a fatality to sin. It's a fatal condition. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, is for the wages of sin is death. And it's not, just, it's not just physical death, it's spiritual death. It's separation from the God who made you because, remember, you didn't just break a rule. You broke a relationship that you were made for. And we see this all around us every single day. If you wonder if the world is stained by sin, if we have a sin nature, you don't have to look very far. We see sin, uh, the war in Ukraine. Sin is the, the reason why there's divorce. It's the reason why our prisons are full. Sin is the reason why all of us have at one point pursued something that we thought was going to satisfy us, but it actually never did. Sin is the reason why we manipulate relationships in order to get something that we want out of it. Sin is the reason we cheat, lie, and steal. Sin is the reason we have had really, really horrible thoughts about people that we don't like, even though we may not even take action on them. Sin is all around us, and it's also in us, right here, in our minds and in our hearts, and it's fatal. And I want to emphasize, I know I've, maybe I've overemphasized, but I want you to know the problem is sin, and it's a fatal condition, and we're all guilty. We start there. Start there. That leads me to the solution, which, is, which gets better. Um, now, listen, it, it's not until you understand the seriousness of the problem that you understand how great the solution is. And the solution, just kind of going to give you the punchline right now, you know it. The solution is that we need to be forgiven, but we can't do it ourselves. But God made a way through Jesus so that you could have forgiveness, not only for your past, but for your future sins, one time for all, and it only comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. That's the punchline. Now, there's a few things that you need to know about forgiveness, though. First is this. I'm going to put them up on the screen. There's three. Forgiveness is for the powerless. Forgiveness is for the powerless. Romans 5, 6 says this in the NLT, New Living Translation. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. The prerequisite for you receiving forgiveness from God through Jesus is that you just have to be helpless. If, if you're someone who's here today or if you've ever been in a situation where you feel stuck in your sin and the guilt and the shame is too heavy to bear and you know that there is no possible way you can dig yourself out, that you are helpless, you are stuck, you are powerless, you are in the perfect position. You're exactly where God wants you to be to be forgiven right now. Because God doesn't um, use your power to forgive. He uses his power. I think that's the first thing that we really need to grasp. Second thing is that forgiveness has a cost. Forgiveness has a cost. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all 
unrighteousness. When it says he is faithful and that word just, that means God is a God of justice. And justice is a hard thing because it means that when God says don't do this or this will happen, he has to follow through because he's a just God. So when God says the wages of sin is death, that means there is a payment that must be made. There is a cost to sin, and that is death. It's eternal separation from the God who created us. And that's horrible for us, unless, of course, God decided that there'd, there'd be another payment. There'd be another method of payment. And of course, that's exactly what he did, is that Jesus, Jesus was the payment for our sins that God offered him so that he would take our sins on himself so that it could be paid in full so that we could be fully forgiven forever. That is the amazing news of the gospel. And that, here's what that means, though. This is the implication of it. Uh, forgiveness isn't just God letting us off the hook. He's not looking at us going, nah, don't worry about it. That's not what he did, because that's not in his character. He's just. He's taking all the wrath that was supposed to be on us because of our sin, and he is moving it onto his son, Jesus, so that if we would place our faith in Jesus, we could be free and forgiven forever. That's what we see in the gospel. It leads me to my last point, and that's this, my last thing about forgiveness. Forgiveness cannot be earned. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you've been forgiven by God, it is because of grace. And grace has nothing to do with what you need to do. It's unmerited favor. Right? It means you don't deserve it, but it's free. It's a gift. And by the way, if it's your birthday and someone comes up to you and gives you this really nice gift, you, you don't start pulling out your wallet and going, all right, I got to, no, this is, I got to pay you for this. That's not what you do because it's a gift that would actually be insulting to the gift giver. And I want you to know what Jesus has done for us is that he took what we deserved on the cross so that we could be forgiven forever. And there are, no, like, you might say, what's the catch? There's got to be a catch. I got to sign something that says I got to go to church for the rest of my life. What's the catch here? There is no catch. There's no conditions. There's no fine print. There's, this is not a loan that we take out and repay over 30 years with interest. God is not saying, yeah, I'll do this for you, but you got to do something for me in return. No, that's not what God is saying because the return for him is you. He's always wanted just you in a relationship. And I, I, I just can't emphasize this enough. You cannot possibly pay God for forgiveness, but we try all the time. We do. We think, man, he's done that for me, but I got to feel better about myself. But you can't repay him, not even a little. The Bible says this in Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. 
I want to point out the one thing it says in there, that our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. If I were to tell you what that actually means, it would not be appropriate for church today. But what it means is it's like dirty rags. Your righteous deeds, if you try to use them in order to earn your way back to God, are worthless. And not only are they worthless, but they're like dirty rags. They're trash. Because if you say that I can do things to try to earn your way to God, it's an insult to Jesus and the power of God on the cross. Because you're taking the power away from him and you're giving yourself power like you can somehow do it yourself, but you can't. Right? It's like dirty rags. All right. The problem is the problem is sin. The solution, very obviously, is Jesus. And then there takes a re- there takes a response. And uh, I think there's there's two types of people in the room uh, right now. There's there's Christians and there's non Christians. So I, I want to kind of talk to and I'm I, I'm glad there is by the way. This is a place where it doesn't matter what you believe. We want to we want to be a place for both. But I want to talk to each of you because I think there's a specific message for each. Um, by the way, real quick, when I say Christian, uh, Christian is not a culture. It's not an upbringing. It's not a denomination. It's not a religion. It's not what me- being a Christian means. Here, here's what it means to be a Christian. If you have realized and admitted that sin is your problem and Jesus is the only solution, you're a Christian. That's it. That's, that's it right there. Okay? Now, if you've never done that, if you've never taken that step to admit sin is your problem, Jesus is the solution, then uh, you may not yet be a Christian. And I, I want to talk to each person right now. So first, I want to talk to Christians. And what I want to say to us as Christians, and I'm speaking to myself more than anything, is that I think that uh, if we're all honest, we believe in our minds that that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins, but we don't live like we are forgiven. What happens is I think we kind of, we kind of think, well, yeah, God gave Jesus to die for our sins, but it's kind of more of an obligation type of thing. Like, yeah, he says he loves us, but I don't think he really likes us. I, I think he's disappointed in us. Like, you know, he's like, yeah, I, I paid for your sins, but well, there's a couple of you out there that it's like, I don't know. I don't know if I should have done that, right? It's not the heart of God. And I think what, what happens is, for all of us, is that sometimes we are stuck in a cycle of sin where we are experiencing guilt and shame so much that what happens is we are so disappointed in ourselves, in our own lives, that we kind of think that's exactly what God thinks of us. It's not. The character of God is wholly different than our character. You can't even wrap your mind around the character of God. He knows your past sins. He knows that thing that you have done that you haven't told anyone way back whenever it was. He knows the thing that you're going to do that might be worse than what you did in the past. He knows all of that. And he went to the cross willingly knowing what he was doing because he loves you. That's the heart of Jesus. It's a heart of forgiveness. It's a heart of grace. There's an article that I've shared. You may have picked it up out on the table. It's also um, something you can get on your way out. But the, the title of the article is, Does God Like Me? 
and uh, it's by Dane Ortland. And I'm telling you, if you struggle with forgiveness and like grace and all of that sort of thing, this is something you need to read. I'm going to give you one quote out of it. And this is what this is what Dane Ortland says. By the way, Dane Ortland wrote Gentle and Lowly. If you haven't read that book, best book I've ever written read, read on Jesus. Just get it, read it. This is what he says. God's children must know that their sins do not push God farther away from them. They actually pull him closer like a father who wants to embrace an afflicted child. That actually comes from Scripture. Romans 5.20 says this, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more and more abundant. What, what that means is you can't out-sin God's grace as a child of God. It doesn't know, it doesn't give you a license to sin. But the heart of God is to forgive you. And uh, I want you to know this. That remember what I said in the beginning that, you know, when you sin, sin is not breaking a rule, it's breaking a relationship. And I, I want to come back to that for a second because when you experience the forgiveness of God through Jesus, what happens is that you don't go from being bad to being good or being a rebel to being now a rule follower. It's not what happens. You go from having a broken relationship with the God who made you to having a fully restored relationship to the God who made you, one that is marked by grace and forgiveness where he embraces you when you mess up and he urges you on when you succeed just like a good, loving father would do. That's the way it works. That's the heart of God. Um, forgiveness is not transactional. It's relational. It's not a transaction. It's a relationship. And Dane Ortland actually shares this illustration that I want to share with you. It's um, what he says. It's kind of like this. He said, uh, if there was a billionaire who found out that there was an orphan on the other side of the world that really needed help, and the billionaire said, I'm going to give a bunch of money and send it over to this orphan so that, you know, he can eat and be taken care of. That'd be a really good thing. It's transactional, though, right? He's just giving money. It's a good thing, but it's transactional. How different would it be if that billionaire said, I'm going to adopt this child from across the world into my home? to be in my family, to be my son, what's mine is now his. Right? That's relational. And that is the heart of God for forgiveness, to bring you close, to make you his. Right? And, that, and here's what that means. That means grace and forgiveness is not just the way you start a relationship with God. It's actually the fuel that your whole relationship God, with God runs on. It is the fuel. Uh, I haven't talked to non-Christians yet, so one quick thing. If you are here today and you are not yet a Christian, based on the definition that I used earlier, and I want you to know, maybe today you're going, man, I need this forgiveness. This is what I've been looking for. I need the freedom. And if that's you, I want you to know that you can have it. And here's what you do. Nothing. Nothing. Here's what I mean by that. You don't have to get up out of your seat. 
You don't have to do a bunch of good things. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to clean yourself up. What you have to do is this. Admit that sin is actually your problem. No matter how bad or not bad it's been, sin is your problem, and Jesus provided the only solution that can reconcile you back to God the Father. That's what you have to do. And so if you're here today and that's you and you want to make that decision, you want to declare that truth, um, then I want you to just do it right now. You don't have to get up. You don't have to say any magic words. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you would like to take Jesus as your Savior for the very first time and be reconciled back into a relationship with God that you were made for, you can do it right in your seat. If everybody could just bow their heads, we will, we will pray. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And right in the quietness of your own seat, in your own heart, if this is a prayer that you want to make, if this is a decision you want to make, you can just repeat after me. God, I know you love me, but I have not loved you back. I am a sinner and I can't fix myself. But I believe that Jesus has come to fix it for me. I believe he paid for my sins on the cross and rose again to prove that it had the power to save. Now I know I can come back to you forever. And Lord, I ask that um, all of us would be moved by your forgiveness today. But I pray that if anybody prayed that prayer, that you would show them the immense freedom they have because of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would also free people today from the weight of shame and guilt that they hold. Lord, we trust in you today. I pray that we would worship you for all that you are. In Christ's name, amen.